0: Part 1 of Chapter 3, The Beginning of the Nineteenth Century, of A Student's History of American Literature, by William Simons. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Reading by Matt Perard. Chapter 3, Part 1, The New Literature, New York, and the Knickerbocker Group. With the turn of the century, our young republic entered upon an era of expansion and development which can be described only as marvelous the rapid progress in the settlement of the west the influx of foreign immigration the growth of the larger cities extension of transportation systems by construction of canals and government roads application of the new inventions employing the power of steam in river navigation and on railroads these features of american progress during the first fifty years in our first completed century of national existence can be here but thus briefly summarized it is unnecessary to attempt a full historical outline of that period of growth and change except to note that coincidentally with this expansive period of material prosperity and growth our national literature entered upon what we may not inaptly term its golden age the age of its best essayists novelists and poets our real american men of letters we have traced the slow steps of literary effort recorded in the several colonies to the close of their existence as colonies and immediately after the period of revolution we have recognized the new and fresh impulse of creative imagination in the little group of simple nature poems by philip Freneau. and imaginative power of somewhat differing type is the somber but not altogether unreal romances of charles brockton brown but Fresno and Brown are only heralds of coming achievements, of the appearance of a literature national in scope and of importance sufficient to command recognition by the people of England and the continent, and possessed of an artistic excellence felt and enjoyed by all. There were evidences of literary activity in Boston, in Philadelphia, and in New York, little groups of literati as they like to call themselves mightily interested in the development of a national literature gave an atmosphere that was helpful to literary effort and they themselves accomplished what could be accomplished by interest patriotism and industry when joined with talent modest if not mediocre for some reason new york took precedence over boston and philadelphia in these first decades of the nineteenth century and not only sheltered a coterie of enthusiastic congenial comrades of the pen whose lively essays in both prose and verse provoked the humor of the town but pushed into the light of more than local fame the names of Paulding, halleck drake and dana and before the quarter mark in the century was reached had produced two of the century's greatest writers irving and cooper these are the knickerbocker writers so-called in deference to the old dutch traditions of manhattan the spirit of which was directly inherited by m- most of them and the influence of which appeared to some extent in their work in eighteen twenty five the poet bryant came to live in new york and his name is therefore grouped with those already mentioned although not a native of the state he was however of their generation and like halleck and dana an adopted son of new york the significance of these first decades of the nineteenth century in their relation to the beginnings of the new literature will appear when we note the dates of the following events it was in 1807 that the irvings together with their friend paulding published the first of the anonymous salmagundi papers in 1809 appeared the humorous masterpiece the knickerbocker history of new york in 1817 it was that the editors of the north american review itself a publication only two years old printed bryant's great poem thanatopsis and his inscription for the entrance to a wood irving's sketchbook appearing in eighteen nineteen established that writer's place permanently in the leadership of american letters in eighteen twenty one cooper published his second novel and first success the spy and that same year was further signalized in a literary way by the printing at boston of bryant's first volume of verse by eighteen twenty five irving had added bracebridge hall and tales of a traveler to his earlier volumes cooper had written the pioneers and the pilot bryant had published among additional poems the yellow violet to a waterfall green river a winter peace and a hymn to death in comparison with the works of contemporary british writers this brief list of american publications appears modest indeed for by eighteen twenty five wordsworth coleridge and southey had produced all that was characteristic of their work keats had died in eighteen twenty one shelley in eighteen twenty two and byron in eighteen twenty four scott had written the last of the waverley novels tom moore had reached the height of his popularity charles lamb had published the first series of the essays of elia de Quincey's Confessions of an English Opium-Eater had appeared in eighteen twenty one and Macaulay's first essay that on Milton was printed in eighteen twenty five and yet although meagre when brought thus in comparison with the literature of the motherland this beginning of our national literature is after all not so insignificant as it may seem it was a beginning and the question once derisively put in 1820 by sydney smith a witty englishman who reads an american book could now be answered in 1825 affirmatively by many of his countrymen before considering in detail the work of the three prominent americans in this group let us note briefly some of the minor authors who are associated with them james kirk Paulding was a typical member of the Knickerbocker group. He was of Dutch descent and made good use of the Dutch traditions in his most successful work, a novel published in 1831 entitled The Dutchman's Fireside. A relative by marriage of William Irving, Paulding was early associated with Washington Irving and his brother William. In the production of the humorous Salmagundi papers which appeared in eighteen o seven subsequently paulding undertook alone a new series of the salmagundi which came out in eighteen nineteen to twenty during the period of the war of eighteen twelve he produced two clever satires directed at the british navy one of these the lay of the scotch fiddle being a parody upon scott's lay of the last minstrel in 1818, he published The Backwoodsman*, a metrical narrative of frontier life in six books. Not a strong performance. Paulding was altogether overshadowed in a literary way by Irving and Cooper, both of whom he attempted to follow. He wrote considerable verse, nothing of which attains to excellence, and of his novels, three only call for mention, koningsmark the long finn dealing with the swedish settlements 1823 the dutchman's fireside a study of old dutch life along the hudson 1831 and westward ho a tale of kentucky 1832 polding was also the author of a popular life of washington published in 1835 he served as secretary of the navy under van buren one of the most energetic members of this New York coterie was Fitzgreen Halleck, a descendant of the Apostle John Eliot. Halleck was born in Guilford, Connecticut, and in 1811 came to New York and was employed in a banking house as clerk. He later entered the office of John Jacob Astor, who, at his death, left Halleck an annuity of 40 pounds. Halleck was a poet from his youth, and three or four of his compositions are not likely to slip from the memory of American readers, so long as there are schoolboys to declaim the stirring lines of his Marco Bazarus, or men to quote, by the graves of their friends, his simple and tender poem, On the Death of Drake. Of Halleck's poems, three are considered notable. Alnwick Castle, 1827, Burns, eighteen twenty seven and marco bo eighteen twenty five the strength of the poet is in these compositions but perhaps this is surpassed by the pathos and sincerity of the beautiful elegy on drake green be the turf above thee friend of my better days none know thee but to love thee nor named thee but to praise a long poem fanny in the style of byron's beppo written in 1819, was popular at the time, but has fallen into oblivion. Halleck retired on his annuity in 1849, returned to his old home in Connecticut, and there spent the remainder of his days. Upon the 80th anniversary of his birth, a monument erected by his townspeople over his grave was dedicated to his memory, the first honor of the kind bestowed upon an American poet. The association of Halleck and Drake, in the most intimate of friendships, is one of the pleasant incidents of our literary history. Joseph Rodman Drake was born in New York, became a student of medicine, wrote but a brief amount of verse, although that was of a high quality, and died at twenty-five. There will be less sunshine for me hereafter, said Halleck, now that Joe is gone. The two friends joined in contributing to the New York Evening Post, a series of anonymous poems under the general title of The Croakers. These appeared in 1819. They were light, satiric, often personal in aim, and capital examples of what is frequently called society verse. They excited a great deal of comment at the time, and are said to have been a subject of conversation in drawing rooms bookstores and coffee-houses on broadway and throughout the city one of the best poems in the series was drake's the american flag of which the concluding lines forever float that standard sheet where breathes the foe but falls before us with freedom's soil beneath our feet and freedom's banner streaming o'er us were the suggestion of halleck Drake's principal composition is a long but graceful poem, full of charm and animated by a most poetical fancy, entitled The Culprit Fay." It was written in 1816, and grew out of a discussion in the group of poets, Cooper being with them at the time, as to the possibility of drawing from American streams poetical inspiration like that found in the historic and legend-haunted rivers of Scotland drake affirmed that it could be done and in three days it is said he produced his brilliant poem the scene of which is laid in the highlands of the hudson although written previous to the appearance of irving's sketchbook the poem was not published until 1835 richard henry dana was born in boston and was one of the associate editors of the north american review when Bryant's early poems were accepted for that publication. In 1821, he began in New York to publish a new magazine, The Idle Man, in which Bryant's poems continued to appear. When Bryant arrived in New York and took his first editorial position in charge of the New York Review, in 1825, he included Dana's poem, The Dying Raven, along with Halleck's Marco Bizaris in the first issue of that magazine mr Dana did not produce many poems a volume entitled the buccaneer and other poems was published in eighteen twenty seven one lyric the little beach bird has found a permanent place it is interesting to note that the poet was one of several descendants of anne bradstreet to attain some distinction in verse the larger part of his long life was lived in retirement, and his influence in the development of our literature was perhaps strongest indirectly in his criticism and in his personal association with his literary friends. His son, Richard Henry Dana, Jr., to 1815-1882, is even more widely known than his father as the author of the popular narrative two years before the mast. 1840 among the minor poets belonging to this period of fresh beginnings several call for mention who were not directly in association with the knickerbocker group john pierpoint 1785 to 1866 a native of connecticut and later a unitarian clergyman in boston was the author of the spirited warren's address and of the poem the pilgrim fathers his Heirs of Palestine and Other Poems, was published first in 1816. James Gates Percival, 1795-1857, to a man of remarkable versatility, also Connecticut-born, was a physician, a geologist, and a linguist. He wrote fluently, although little of his work is familiar now. The Coral Grove is one of his brightest compositions. His first volume of poems, Prometheus, appeared in 1820. Lydia Huntley Sigourney, 1791 to 1865, born at Norwich, Connecticut, and for many years head of a famous select school for girls, which she established at Hartford in 1814, was a pioneer in the cause of higher education for women she was a prolific writer the author of fifty-three volumes in prose and verse her first volume of moral pieces appeared in 1815. emma h willard 1787 to 1870 another connecticut woman who became famous as an educator she conducted the troy female seminary 1821 to 1838 published a volume of poems in 1830 in which was included the well-known song rocked in the cradle of the deep george morris 1802 to 64 who was the author of many poems of sentiment popular in his day is now remembered for only one woodman spare that tree samuel woodworth 1785 to 1842 is likewise remembered as the author of one song the old oaken bucket 1826 john howard payne 1791 to 1852 whose name is immortalized because of his home sweet home was an actor and writer of plays he was born in new york and lived a wandering life his tragedy brutus 1818 was his most successful drama the opera clary the maid of milan in which occurs the famous song was written in Paris in 1823 and produced at Covent Garden, London. Payne was United States consul at Tunis from 1841 until his death. In 1883, his remains were removed to Washington and there interred. Francis Scott Key, 1779 to 1843, wrote the Star-Spangled Banner in 1814 he was detained as a prisoner on board a british man-of-war during the bombardment of fort mchenry all night he watched the engagement with keenest anxiety and in the morning wrote the words of his song it was printed immediately and to the air of anacreon in heaven was sung all over the land another national anthem america was written in eighteen thirty two by rev samuel f smith 1808 to 1905 the name of washington allston 1778 to 1843 should be included in this group for the most distinguished of our earlier american painters was also a leader in literary culture and the author of numerous graceful poems james abraham hillhouse 1789 to 1841 of New Haven was one of the earliest of Americans to attempt the poetic drama on the lines of Byron and Shelley. His dramas appeared in 1839. Charles Finno Hoffman, 1806 to 84, founder of the Knickerbocker magazine in 1833, was the author of light and brilliant verse. His career was closed by insanity in 1849. In contemporary estimation, at least, no other member of the New York group during the thirties and forties quite equaled Nathaniel Parker Willis. He was born in Portland, Maine, was graduated from Yale College in 1827, and served his apprenticeship as a man of letters in Boston. After his removal to New York, he was associated with George P. Morris as editor of the New York Mirror, in 1844, he made a place on the mirror for Poe. It was in that paper that The Raven was published, January 1845. During his visits to England and the continent, Willis wrote for the Mirror, or the Home Journal, lively sketches of picturesque scenes and notable people. These were gathered in pencilings, by the way, eighteen thirty-five, eighteen forty-four and Loiterings of Travel, 1840. He wrote two plays, also Bianca Visconti, 1837, and Tortesa, the Usurer, 1839. The sacred poems, 1843, represent his most worthy accomplishment in verse. End of Part 1, Chapter 3